All right. Welcome to another episode of Spark Your Fire. Here you've got uh, uh, your your hosts, John, Jazz, and David. Welcome to the pod, everyone. How are my co-hosts doing? Hey, hey guys, how are you? Doing really good, mate. Sad to see what's happening in the world, but lucky that we are in in a place where there's a bit more peace. But really yeah, sad, yeah. To be honest. Absolutely. Safe country is number one, but at the same time, you know, we're seeing all these floods in Queensland and New South Wales as well. So I think, you know, our condolences goes with those, um, those who are unfortunately losing their homes in the current extreme times as well. It's a, yeah, it is a difficult matter, you know, just in a different form, um, I guess, yeah. but uh, yeah, different, different topics. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a good good point, and Dave, a good way to start. There is so, there's so much news at the moment, um, and look, I'm really excited to, to unpack it. Um, but you're right about you, you're right. We're all sort of living in the, in a very soggy moment uh, with all the rain, and uh, and obviously some experience that worse than others. So uh, you know, particularly if you're in northern New South Wales or Queensland, we know that you're uh, um, you're suffering there. So hopefully, this uh, podcast gives you something to to listen to to take your mind off things. But um, but we know that uh, you know we're, we're thinking about you guys um but here at spark your fire we like to we like to go large we like to go big so what we're going to talk about today are three main topics but like what a week what a week of news we've got russia ukraine we've got all these sorts of things but we're an economics podcast so what we're going to talk about today is the energy market oil at 111 dollars as we speak this is insane so we talk about the energy market and whether or not we're in an energy crisis. The second thing we're going to talk about is what's happening in the currency markets because currency underpins the whole thing. We're going to talk about inflation. We're going to talk about commodities. We're going to talk about interest rates. And we're going to talk about crypto. And then finally, we're going to talk about power. What is all, what, you, know, you, you know, what looks like a war is, is usually a, a game of chess being played by very powerful people. So we're going to have a, a chat about, um, about the shifting tectonic plates and, uh, and the power politics that, that, that the world is involved in at the moment because uh, all economic news seems to have a geopolitical edge to it these days. So we're going to try to unpack that. We're going to have some fun along the way as well. Um, but just a reminder, as always, guys, not, not economic uh, or, or uh, investing advice. Obviously, we're going large today, so that this we're not going to potentially be all that tactical, but we are going to talk about how we would invest in this sort of market. So don't take any of it as advice. This is just what we think and what we do. All right. With that said, um, if you like what we do here at Spark Your Fire, don't forget to like and share it with your friends because uh, what, what we try to we try to uh, keep things very interesting. And I don't think you're hearing what we're talking about on Spark Your Fire and other Australian podcasts. So um, so please share and like this because uh, we've got a couple of calls right uh, on the, on the big nasty stuff. Energy. Let's start with energy, guys. So oil um, oil about a week ago was at like $80, and now it's at $111 US. We're talking about, we're talking about crude here. Um, now, oil is the lifeblood of the economy. Um, it, it's, uh, it's the lifeblood of the military-industrial complex, to get a little bit sinister. And uh, Russia is the third biggest oil producer in the world and a, and a major play within, um, within uh, OPEC. Now, interestingly, you know what I, I just discovered that the US is still so at the end of the. I'm going to do a bit of a lead in here, but but you guys can take it any way you want to because it's such a big topic. Um, the, you know what I found interesting was that, at the end of, in the last month of the Trump administration, 
the US imported zero barrels of oil. And I think that was the first time ever. So the US was completely energy independent at the end of the Trump administration, the much maligned Trump administration. Fast forward a year and the US is quietly importing oil from Russia and Iran, believe it or not. This is this this I only found out the Iran bit this week. So when so despite all the sanctions, they actually haven't put sanctions on the energy industry in in um uh, in Russia. So look, that's a bit of a geopolitical edge. We'll probably come back to that. But are we in an energy crisis? What does $111 oil mean to you? Um, and as how do you invest uh, for, for this? Jazz, let's start with you, mate. What, what What's your take on what the oil price is telling us? So are we in the energy crisis? Um, yes. Are you, and I'm going to tackle the last question first is, um, should how you should invest if you were listening to this pod two years ago and it was you john who called that one not me or david i think was particularly you. it's uh at the time the oil price was i think around 60 or 50 bucks somewhere around that uh, that was the time to buy it right uh so that was the time to take the entry in the market if you were in, looking at it from an investing perspective right oil is a a very political play here it's it's uh Everything at the end of the day, I mean, if you look at another way to look at oil is basically if you look at Russia's currency, which is ruble, it's uh, that's more of Russia's nominal currency. It's not Russia's real currency. Russia's real currency is actually oil. Yep. Ruble going down by 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. It doesn't bother them, to be honest. What bothers to them is what's the price? What what's what is the oil that they they, they are one of the major producers of the oil. So they if uh, if they want tomorrow, they can map up the oil prices. Basically, is the point right to cover up their shortfall in the currency to some extent. So the real currency of Russia is actually oil, and how important it is right now to look at oil. I think uh, that shouldn't even that shouldn't even even be a point of discussion because the war that's going on is between Russia and Ukraine over here, right? Um, and in fact, if you look at, I was looking at some of the stats this morning. Um, the gas prices in uh, the British, British wholesale gas prices jumped up by what, roughly about 30% over, uh, over the last week or so. Now, you can technically say that uh, sterling, pound sterling, uh, went down by 30% against ruble, right? So yeah. this, is, this is a very smart play. It's very, it's a very, uh, Valdemir Putin is not not a crazy guy who's just gone on a war random uh, randomly. Uh, it's 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 a very he's obviously gone through all the scenarios over here. Yeah, no, that's uh, look. I, I think I mean I I don't have the economics background, so I think the way I look at it is from a consumer's perspective, right? Like looking at these soaring prices, and each week the 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 petrol prices continues to go up. In that sense, what does that mean for the consumers? Um, and uh, from a, from a longer term. Um, perspective are we are we absolutely are we in an energy crisis yes it's probably going to go only go higher from this point onwards right due to the due to the complex geopolitical play at the moment um, so from an investing perspective is it still too late to get into oil or, or you know that kind of things probably is um, I don't know I think looking at the past trend and again this is just my personal opinion um once once the once the the overall situation stabilizes a bit more i think these these commodities seems to seems to come down a little bit so it's it's only it only goes up during the time of 
um, you know, when there is an, an actual geopolitical conflict of some sort uh, in that instance. But after things stabilize a bit, people will pull it out, people pull money out of that, and then basically put it into more of a riskier type of investments in a sense. So, you know, if you're looking at getting something, getting in now, uh, oil, that type of thing, it might be a bit too late because you could be looking at getting at the peak level. Um, having said that, uh, we haven't found a replacement for oil at the moment yet. And that's why, you know, the whole worldwide is, is relying on that. So there's no doubt about that. Um, but clean energy, um, you know, renewable energy, that kind of things might still be at least a couple of years away. So what do we do in this scenario? Like um, in, if, with this energy crisis, I think that's an open question in terms of what can we do um, in, in that instance. And John, I'm probably going to throw it back to you a little bit to, yeah. to come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you, I, I love those points um, that geopolitical uh, drivers of markets are actually very, very short and sharp. Mm. So it, we could just as easily see gold, uh, sorry, oil crash from here. Um, and you're also right about we don't really have an alternative to oil and we keep pretending we do with renewables, but but we definitely don't. I'd say it's more like decades or centuries away from uh, an alternative that's pr a proper alternative. Um, okay, so a couple, couple of things from me. Uh, I, I think that... I just want to reiterate something I said a couple of weeks ago, which is still stuck in my brain and I, I can't get it out. And I, I feel like it plays a part here, although I don't know what part that plays. Um, the, the world economy's printed like $7 trillion last year. That is what inflation is. And so now we're, we're living with the consequences of what I think is an overreaction to COVID. Like that's my personal view is we overreact to COVID and, 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 that, that has a cost and the cost is inflation and drop in our standard of living and so on. Now, they need to find a place for, for the inflation to go. So the one thing that the central banks can do is they can print money, but they can't decide where the money goes. So some of it goes into real estate, some of it goes into food prices and so on. But the one place is where it can, where it can go without showing up in your CPI is the oil price. So it's like it gets excluded from core inflation. So it's, I think it's part of the headline, or but it gets excluded from the, the core inflation number. And I think that anything that draws attention to the, the energy markets, um, that pushes currency into the energy markets and pushes inflation into the, into the oil price is not entirely unwelcome. And the reason for that is it, it's a way of hiding your inflation. They, they want this, right? That This gets them off the hook for being completely irresponsible over the last couple of years. So I think that, I think that there's a, a part of these administrations that are quite happy to see the oil price spike because it's pulling currency away from other markets, right? And they don't need to measure it for CPI. That's the first thing. Second thing is um, a lot of the political agenda at the moment, and again, again we don't want to do politics too much on this uh, show, but... There's a lot of, you would have heard of Build Back Better and there's a lot of environmental movements out there that, that is hostile to oil. And I get that. Um, pushing the price up and allowing it to go up um, does make renewables more attractive. Now, I, I personally don't think renewables is a, is a, is a real solution, um, but, um, but it does tie into a thesis of Build Back Better and Great Resets and all that sort of stuff where, you know, the, 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 not, the, the oil companies aren't really allowed to drill new oil uh, pipes. They're, they're not allowed to find new discoveries. Uh, and if they do find anything, no insurance company will insure them. No bank will lend to them. I mean, so 
there's a real problem we've created for ourselves through these ESG um, regulations where no, no bank will lend to an oil company because it's seen as dirty energy. So the result is, of course, it's going to be $200 oil. One thing that I would say as an investor is oil's going much higher. Um, it's going much higher. I've always said, I said, I think 18 months ago or two years ago, that we know that this boom is over when oil gets to $200. And I, I'm surprised that that's happening so quickly, but but it, it's it's happening. Um, so watch watch the oil price. It's telling us that there's inflation. It's a way to mask it. But it's also telling us that there is an energy problem because we're, we we don't really have an alternative to, to oil. We're pretending we have an alternative to oil by not allowing anyone to drill for new oil, <laughs> but solar panels can't do what oil does. So, um, so I think oil's got a long way to go, but it'll probably pull back from here. Jess. So I think... Um- that whole talk at the Davos Forum about the global reset, I think has finally gone into full gear now, in yep. my opinion. It started with COVID. COVID was more of a uh, a time period for everyone to prepare whatever that needs to be done, bring your house in order, uh, work from home, all that stuff. Um, now, if you look at oil being the real currency of Russia, right? Um, with all the sanctions that U.S. is currently applying on Russia, are they really hurting them as much as they should? I'm not saying that they're not hurting. Obviously, it's hurting them. But is it really hurting them as much as it should? When in parallel to that, we are seeing support from China to some extent. And also, recently, we saw India will be trading directly with Russia um, uh, with in rupee and ruble, not in U.S. dollars. So, the, that whole uh, U.S. as a reserve currency, um, I think, is becoming less and less important. So the, the U.S. importance over here is, is, is the point is becoming less and less important. And those sanctions that used to work in the past, I don't think are going to work as effectively, as effectively as they used to. Right. Um, and in fact, there was another article that, that, that I read, which, which I did share, was the uh, roughly about two to three hundred companies have opened up their bank account with Chinese bank in Russia to avoid all the troubles that they're going through with the sanctions. So it's it's all feeding into the 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 reset agenda, basically. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I mean, this it's way above my pay grade, but a lot of things are a lot of things are aligning to that. Um, and we'll have to see how things play out. You know, there's, you know, well, one thing that's interesting to me is we seem to have rolling crises. There's always a new crisis and the answer. So there's bushfires and then there's COVID and then there's Ukraine. And I, I don't know what the next crisis will be, but I guarantee you that the answer to the next crisis will be more liquidity and lower rates. Mm-hmm. And, it will bring- start, and it will start with the yield curve motion. Yep. Yep. So that brings us nicely onto the second point because they're all kind of linked. So what we want to talk about now is uh, currencies, inflation, and interest rates, because th- th- this is you know th- this is what underpins all of it. You know when you're um, when you've got an asset, let's say you've got a, an, a, a, a property in Sydney, you're essentially making a taking a bet on the Australian dollar uh, because the uh, you're holding this million dollar asset in Australian dollars uh, in Australian dollar terms. So currencies are currencies are super interesting, particularly when we're talking about these sorts of matters. So um, so we've talked about um, 
we've talked about oil being a bit of a proxy for inflation, um, but also a way to mask it a little bit into the CPI. Um, we've also seen we've seen a lot of action in the gold market and the silver market. These are usually proxies for inflation. But interestingly, for me and for the, for listeners of this podcast, the ten year yield has dropped precipitously. And in fact, yesterday it went down to one point seven percent, one point seven percent, which is saying that the market doesn't see interest rates going up. Not, I mean, obviously that's a ten year period, but the market doesn't see ten, uh, interest rates going up. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you guys, but my question would be, how do you raise interest rates in, in the short term without flipping the uh, the yield curve, without having short-term interest rates go over 1.7, 1.8%? You're going to have a situation, uh, Jazz, you talk about yield curve inversion where short-term rates will be higher than long-term rates, and then you've got a yield curve inversion and probably a recession within six months. So- What's the yield curve telling us? Um, and can the central banks really um, uh, honour their promise of raising interest rates in this environment? So it's a tricky situation that we sit in right now with this whole geopolitical arrangement that's going on. But I still honestly think that the rates will increase. And Jerome Powell last week did hint towards that rates will rise but they probably won't rise by 50 basis points. It will be more like a small of a 25 basis point increase, right? Biden's biggest headache right now is inflation. For him to stay in the term, he needs to bring inflation under control. And if the inflation print is going to be sitting at 8%, 10%, wherever it goes next, uh, that is a big deal for the administration, which means that even if the... Fed Reserve doesn't want to increase rate, they will be forced to some extent to raise the rates. From the outside, it looks like they're two separate entities, but really, are they? Everything is interconnected over here, right? From, from oil to inflation to US currency, everything is interconnected here. It's a big jigsaw puzzle, like we said last time. So, rates will, long story short, the rates are going to rise, but uh, the rate highs are not going to be as dramatic as it was thought a couple of weeks ago. Uh, because of this new whole situation that has cropped up. Uh, the yield chart is going to invert at some point if the rates were to rise too quickly. So, which means a recession is not even six months away if, if that was to happen, right? Um, again, there's a big if over there. So I think the rate is going to rise, but it's going to be very uh, small rise uh, just to prove the point more than anything else. Um, and plus also to keep a check on the financial markets, uh, not, not, not let them go in the bubble territory again where they have been. So uh, we have seen the 10% correction. I think the market we said before as well was going to be choppy, will remain choppy because uh, of all this uncertainty with whether Fed's going to do a rate rise or are they not going to do a rate rise? Are they going to do QT or are they going to do QE with the new situation that has cropped up? Right? So uh, there's a lot of factors over here at play. Um, as an investor, if you were want to, if you want to play this market, the only way to play this market is to play the volatility, long and short. So if you're smart and you know your game and you understand the system, then that that's 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 the that's the edge over here. Uh, otherwise, uh, the best thing to do is stay away from the market when there's this much uncertainty. Think about the people who are invested in the Russian stock market, like individual investors, institutional investors, super funds. Uh, the money's gone. 
who knows what's going to happen if the markets uh, in Russia are even going to open again or not. So, yeah, uh, that's where I'll leave. Sorry, John. No, no, no. It, it, it's fascinating. And you know, also, like you said that Jerome Powell is saying that they'll only put rates up by 25 basis points. 25 basis points is generally considered a small increase. But when there's so much debt, it actually can have a, a big impact. So maybe, maybe it's the inflation deterrent that they need, and maybe they only need 25 basis points. But uh, David, you, you're you're a, um, a mortgage broker, so you, you see you see kind of what the banks are thinking on their fixed rates and all that sort of stuff all, all the time. What, what, what's what's your sort of take on what's going on and and how that might affect in, uh, interest rates and um, and inflation? The, the the fixed rate how, how banks get the money um, for fixed rates is essentially from the essentially from the bond market which is determined by the market uh, in essence so it's the market price uh, in that in that sense is what determines what is the fixed rate that's going to get offered to the consumers um, so if they if the if the bond yield curve goes up um, you know from a longer term perspective that's obviously they will have to push themselves to give higher fixed rates in that instance. So that's why, you know, since RBA stopped providing pretty much free money um, and stopped buying bonds uh, since last year, around October and November, we have seen essentially the bond yield curve, uh, whether that's three year, five year, 10 years started to go back to their more than normality because that's now been determined by the by the market. So, um, so that's why in essence, you know, everyone's seeing fixed rates going up because of that. Now, the variable rate is a complete different story, though. The variable rate is determined or is, is tied towards the RBA's cash rate uh, in that instance. So, and, and the variable rates at the moment are actually the most attractive ones. So the, uh, the, the variable rates haven't actually gone up. In fact, most banks have actually kept it very, very low and even more competitive. So what does that mean uh, in that instance? So, you know, I, I don't think people are, um, you know, for those people who are who's seeking certainty, um, you know, you're going to be looking at fixed rates, of course, um, but uh, be mindful that the volatility on the on the bond market is actually going to have an impact on it. And again, that's all tied to what you guys have been talking about from, you know, the um, I guess the uncertainty of the world that's causing that bond market to fluctuate. Um, but the cash, uh, you know, I think the other thing to, to consider as well is I think the uh, RBA actually had their meeting this month, uh, this week, and they've kept it the cash rate at still at um, yeah at the same at the same level, and um, I know uh, Philip Lowe has reaffirmed again that because of the Russia Ukraine um, invasion at the moment, they there's a lot of uncertainty that just kicked in essentially. So they might they'll probably won't be looking at raising rates again that quickly as what everyone has been anticipating as early as May, as early as August. I'm not sure. I reckon in a few months' time, if not weeks, economists is going to come out again and revise their forecast um, to, to determine when the, when the cash rate is really going to go up. Uh, but by the looks of it, it's probably not going to be this year. It's more likely next year. And even if they do, a bit like what Jess was saying, um, like in US, they're probably looking at more of a 0.25 rather than a 0.5%. You know, it will be a tweak and adjust review uh, kind of period to say, how's that going to impact everyone's finances if we actually put the cash rate up? Um, and is the economy actually going as well as we expected? Are the, are the unemployment rates staying low? How's people's affordability? All the kind of things is going to kick into play. So um, that's my take uh, in terms of that, um, in terms of how we, yeah, the currency and inflation. Yeah, I almost think that the central banks want to 
prove to us that they have more than just one gear that they you know we, we put rates up and down depending on the data you know but uh, uh even if you look at a long-term chart like rates might have been dropping for 40 years um but but um but uh, th- that's interesting yeah I, I tend to agree with you david i think kind of one thing that the ukraine um thing is has done is it's actually it's sort of exacerbated inflation but at the same time uh introduced uncertainty that will delay any really hawkish kind of increases in interest rates. They'll do it a little bit to show that they're monitoring things. But I think that I think that the Fed raises rates at the next meeting and then kind of says, you know, like, well, we're going to wait and see. We're going to, we're going to monitor inflation and we're going to be driven by the data or something like that. So we'll see. And, and I agree with you. Um, Australia's in a far uh, a less um, urgent perspective. And I think the reason for that is that our inflation rate's like 3.5%. Whereas the US's inflation rate is about seven percent, and they're just—it's just we just have different challenges at the moment. So I don't think there's, you know, we're sort of imposing US headlines on the Australian RBA, and uh, not sure that they're going to necessarily do that. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. I think I think as from a more from an investor pers- investor's perspective, it makes you think if you're holding the. If your store of value is cash in whatever currency, whether it's US, Ruble, whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? It begs a question, uh, what percentage is actually sitting in cash and how much risk cash itself is? Cash is asset as well, but it's also a risk against inflation and mm-hmm. against um, seizure, uh, seizure, basically. I think it come, also comes down a little bit to the difference between currency and money, right? So in in um, you said that the money in Russia is oil or the money in Russia is US dollars, right? But it's it's definitely not the ruble. Like ruble is just the currency that people buy at the use at the supermarket, but no one's saving rubles. Um, they're saving other things, right? I, I think you're right. But I also think what's interesting is in the US, their current currency is US dollars, but their money, what they save is the S&P 500, I think the S&P 500 has become what gold used to be, which is the store of value and the way to save. Everyone just opened a, a, an index fund of the uh, S&P 500 and that's the new, that's the new money. That's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it mm-hmm. because it's, essentially it's, it, it goes up by 7% every year. So it's a commodity. Yeah. yeah. So we have financialized the stock market basically. Yep. Stock market has become the and it's a low risk as well because it's spread across the 500 companies right yep. so there will be up and downs but in general due to inflation they're essentially it's just going to go back up so it's a way of hedging against inflation yeah a safer way you get five a five percent dividend which is what interest used to be in the bank mm. s&p 500's money yeah and, and there's a reason why um this sort of goes back into we were talking about commodities on this part on this podcast for so long right um why is it that all of a sudden gold, silver, and all the precious metals in general have started performing now uh, during this war period? That tells you where the actual, I mean, what the actual store of value of the money is, essentially. It points towards that, right? So uh, if we, we saw Turkey, the, the inflation is what, 50%, their currency is down heaps, ruble is down heaps. They're just exchange mechanics, but the actual store of value or the true currency, if you want to call for the sake of it, is 
In this case, at the moment, it's gold proving as a hedge. That's yeah. the only thing in the market that's making sense. Yeah, and it's an international hedge. And, but, and, and the price is saying it. And what I'd say to our listeners is uh, w- w- when you're listening to this, have a think about what currency you use to spend and what currency you use to save. And they're not necessarily the same thing. So you could you could go to the supermarket and spend Aussie dollars, but when you're saving, you might want to save in real estate or gold or, or the ASX 200. What you save and what you spend, I think, has to be very different because you can't, saving in dollars is, 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 is risky. It's risky. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome, awesome. All right. Um, let's move on to our third and final uh, topic, which has been woven through what we've been discussing anyway. So we don't need to spend too, too long on it. But let's talk about power. Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about uh, globe, the global game of chess that is uh, taking place at the moment. Um, we we know that we know that there there are sort of there's the Western Bloc, and uh, and then we know that there are sort of people outside that sort of swift uh, uh, swift and the Western sort of economic. Um, group what 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 have we learned from the ukraine crisis in terms of where the power is and what kind of power they have um david i don't mean to kind of throw a grenade in your direction but do you want to do you want to go first give us any thoughts on um what what we've learned from this i'm going to say this is your favorite topic when it comes that's all right i'll give my layman's uh, layman term opinion in that case um so we we talk about this being a geopolitical conflict uh, in a sense, but the reality is, I think the the the, the power nations are starting to change and starting to shift. Like uh, you know, the way like you described before, John, as the tectonic plates as they move around and they shift. Um, and and the and the rationale here is because you know, like I guess the the Russians uh, in this case, even though with all that financial sanctions, hasn't really impacted them too much at all uh in, in all honesty right they were still like you know they, they find a way like uh jazz you mentioned that uh, these russian companies are opening up chinese bank accounts um uh, with, with with china banks essentially they, there's a way to work around this so they're not too concerned about that so that and that that comes to the point where you know the the russians are forming an alliance uh, essentially with with china in this case and it's nothing to do with geo, geopolitics or anything like that but more to do with i guess a different different type of power play, you know, where they, they, they have cut themselves from pretty much the SWIFT network and the global financial, the, the money side of networks, so, and they can still survive and they can still work around things. Uh, it's not end of the world. Um, and, and that could, rather than looking at just an East and West type of division, you know, maybe the Russia and the China might be the new form of, um, of, of a power nation in that sense against the remaining of the, of the Western countries like the US, the UKs and, and the rest of the world, that kind of thing. So it's being a quick divvy up uh, in terms of a, a difference of power play here uh, is, my, is my interpretation um, in that sense. And, but how will it impact the future and how would it impact uh, geopolitics uh, in general across these nations? I'm not sure, and that's why I think you know it's probably a a good lead a good leeway back into um, John. I guess you know I know you love these type of stuff. Or do you want to? Or Jazz, do you want to give, give it a go? Go for Jazz. So I was thinking about it as David was talking. Um, I'll divide it into three groups. One is the U.S. as a reserve currency lovers, which is the Western world, right? Uh, U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K. to some extent, they've got their own currency. 
uh, but the allies, partners, allies, right? Then you've got is the uh, the petrodollar cartel, and uh, I'll put China sort of along with that because Russia China formation uh, or the arrangement that is that 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 we are seeing in front of our eyes. And then third is the rebellious group, which is the crypto guys, uh, Bitcoin and all that stuff, right? Uh, and I'll put some to some extent gold in that, or actually Bitcoin into gold category, then gold into Bitcoin, because gold has been there for centuries. So just a different way of looking at it. Basically, I, I'm looking at it in those, um, the, the, those, to me, those are the three groups. And uh, what we are seeing in front of our eyes is with this, geopolitical arrangement that's changing is basically Russia, China partnering up um, to get away through sanctions and still get what they want, which is Ukraine and Taiwan to some extent. Um, and uh, uh, at the same time, getting rid of the US as a reserve currency by, for, by, by through digital yuan and other measures. Uh, I think China has got their SIPS, CIPS payment system and Russia has got one as well, which they built over the last few years. Can't remember the name for that. Um, and then you've got is your SWIFT payment system, which is used for obviously US and others. Um, and the third, which is, which is the, to me is the true smoke detector or the only, only smoke detector left uh, to detect the true markets or what Fed is actually going to do, not what they're saying is the, is either the gold or Bitcoin in my opinion. Yeah, as a as a footnote, there was the best podcast I saw uh, listened to this week was the Patrick Bet David podcast where they had Michael Saylor talking about uh, Bitcoin. Uh, if you can get your hands on that, absolutely brilliant. Just came out the, the last couple of days. Sorry, I meant the second best podcast after last week's Spark Your Fire episode, which I also listened to. Yeah, I, was um, about, I was about to kill you right now. I saw Jazz <laughs> frowning at me. I saw the evil um, eye that was coming. It's <laughs> so really good. You should check it out. He talks about, uh, you know, Bitcoin versus gold and all that sort of stuff. All right. So I think that's, I think that's great. And I think you can't talk about geopolitics without referring to the US dollar system, the SWIFT system, and all these kind of these clubs that make countries behave well, right? So that's like, if you want to be in the club, you need to behave. So mm -hmm. my, my take, um, my, my, what I think we've learned, just a couple of things, it's going to be a bit scattergun, but I think that we've learned that the, the West still has all the soft power, right? So, so um, you can you you might have as many nukes as the US or more nukes in the US, but if the US still has all, you know, the US together with Germany, France, and England have all the economic power and they can block you out of the club, it doesn't matter how many nukes you have because you're persona non grata. Um, they're, they're saying that Russia's economy is going to contract 35% this year without a bullet being shot by the US. So it's US is still very, very powerful. Uh, the West is still very powerful, and they have all they have all the financial institutions at the moment, at least. Um, and I think, in this sense, I think Putin was right, and he was wrong about a couple of things. I think he was right that the West didn't. Putin thought the West was weak, and they didn't have the will to fight. And he was right; the West isn't going to fight with their boys and their tanks and all that sort of stuff. But he was also wrong that they were weak. The West is still quite powerful in terms of all this uh, financial um, uh, might. So I think he, he kind of underestimated the West in, in that respect um, and that the businesses would get behind this. Um, I do like what you said, Jazz, about the US dollar being used as a, as a weapon. So the US dollar 
currency system, you know, where they just blocked off the um, the Russian reserves. That's a that's that's a problem. That's a, and that's a concern for any country that wants to forge its own sort of foreign policy and do all sorts of things. It's, this is a concern. Um, so the US dollar as a, as a weapon is something that we've talked about for a long time, but that creates short-term strength for the US dollar, right? Because you want to be in the club now. But long-term, it becomes a, a, a tool of suspicion and fear and uh, kind of this club that you want to be outside of so that you can make your own uh, sovereign decisions. Um, I think, uh, Dave, and I think you talked about this, China and Russia will be brought closer together. Uh, so that's, I mean, you know, alliances are good, but um, but I think that's that's an interesting thing, and I, I don't think I'm breaking any, any ground saying that. But lastly, I think I think that this has been a wake up call. I hope this has been a wake up call to the West. The West has the West has been distracted with all sorts of silly social issues, and I think that we've, in a sense, um, outsourced our energy policy to people like Greta Thunberg. And I, I think that we've had a, you know, like a high school student's perspective on a lot of these topics. And I think that I think that the the, the oil price going to one hundred and eleven dollars and possibly higher. And I think that the way we think about energy, I think it we just need to, in a sense, grow up a little bit. And I think that the tide will turn on some of these uh, positions that Westerners had that are positions of luxury, really. That they, these are only things that you can believe if you're extremely wealthy. So I think that I think that w- we've been a bit silly with some of our policies. I think that we've been a bit silly about how we see um, power in the world and that I think that we've thought only soft power works. And I think that we've been a bit silly with our energy policies. So that might change, but I think I think that that sort of thing is um, likely to change. Any any kind of final comments before we wrap up, boys? I, I, I think... Um, this was mentioned in the last podcast. Uh, the threat is not what's happening in Russia, Ukraine. Uh, I'm not saying that it's good. Obviously, it's not. It's sad. Uh, people are getting killed. Uh, but I think the real threat is going to be is uh, the digital war or the cyber warfare uh, that will happen or the cyber attacks that will happen over the years to come with everything moving digital now and all that stuff. Um, there's actually a really good documentary for anyone who wants to watch it. It's called Zero Days. Um, you got to pay for it. Uh, there's a paywall, but uh, it's worth watching it one. It's about how uh, US along with other nations, Israel, Israel especially, uh, attacked Iran's nuclear, tried attacking Iran's nuclear power plant, shut that, shut that down. Uh, just using sheer uh, piece of code, nothing else, just a piece of code. It's it's a it's a documentary worth watching, and that tells you of oh. sort of the future where we headed into, where it's all gonna be uh, zero, the war of zeros and ones, basically. Mm. Uh, keep yourself protected as much as you can. Yeah, that's gonna be the new form, isn't it? Not gonna be talking about any nuclear bombs. You know, I reckon the other possible one, if you want to invade a country, is to do a Put a virus onto so <laughs> more of a more of a bio weapon than anything so digital and bio weapon might be the, the, the actual future war zones yeah. uh, the, how, how do you how do you invade a country without attacking it is basically uh, you make it weak how do you make it weak is kill the gdp how do you kill the gdp is uh through some form of attack right uh, 
and the attacks could be as you bring the just a, through through a, a cyber attack you can bring their power down for 10 days 20 days whatever it is right there goes the gdp like covid what covid did to some extent right it made us weak us us interest rate was at two and a half one and a half wherever wherever it was pre covid they are sitting in a situation where they have printed shitload of money and their interest rate is sitting at zero and they have got another situation at hand, which is the Russia-Ukraine. You know what? They made them weak through COVID. COVID was a preparation. So they made them weak uh, in a way. Uh, it, it's not always going to be uh, military. It can be bio, which it was two years ago, uh, in the last two years, and uh, cyber. You know what's interesting to me as well as a, as a bit of a footnote? Like, why? What, you know, when, when a country A invades country B, the first thing they do is they knock out their communication. So, so but basically, every, every, no one can make a phone call and everyone's sitting in the dark. That's, that hasn't happened. Everyone's sort of still, everyone's still got internet access and everyone's able to put out these um, uh, videos about how, how heroic Zelensky, the Ukrainian prime, uh, president, is. And I'm, always, I'm curious as to why that's being allowed. Uh, I would have thought that there'd be f- far less sort of information getting out because they would have knocked that stuff out, but they didn't. So I saw, no, no, I think, I think it was out because I know the, the president actually asked Elon Musk for Starlink yes. uh, access. <laughs> So I think that was, oh, I mean, and, and the next day the Starlink came in, the equipment came in and, and all that kind of stuff. So they were able to restore their communication oh, to, a, what to a, a certain what level. A, what a machine this man is. Seriously. Yeah. Amazing. And it's Absolutely. the only communication system which is out of the reach of Russia um, that Musk has supplied, which is Starlink. Every other equipment that Russia can hack into because it's built by there or it's already got their stamp on it. Uh, but this one is totally isolated. Doesn't mean that cyber there can't be a cyber attack but it's safer than every other uh piece of equipment that ukraine has got that powers internet for them yeah he's amazing all right everyone look i just wanted to to say at the end something i said at the beginning last week which is that we cover economic topics on this podcast but um, we know that the most important thing is the human suffering, uh, and we know that there, are, you know, the, the people who are suffering during this war, the people who are suffering uh, in the floods, um, and I, I don't want anyone to think that <clears throat> we're not um, uh, thinking about these people. Uh, we we focus on economics uh, and investing, but uh, but obviously the most important thing is to be safe, to be healthy, and um, and and we do we do sort of. Uh, care and worry about the people who are suffering and that that's the most important thing <clears throat> so guys um thank you for listening if you if you like what we're doing here and uh, we always come up with some interesting perspectives we hope share this with your friends like it and uh send us an email in the in the notes below because we'd love to hear what you think well, what you'd like more of what you'd like less of uh we'll get back to property next week <laughs> <laughs> we promise, but uh, but there are bigger fish to fry at the moment. We thought we'd go uh, go off off script. So um, thank you so much for listening. Um, this is not financial advice. Stay safe, be safe, don't over leverage, and we'll see you next week on the pod.